Welcome to Foundation Christian Church. We're glad that you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit foundationcitrusheights.com. So here's a first blank to remind us of where we were at last week in case you've not been with us. Standout consumption paves the way toward standout generosity. Last week was all about spending. What is going on when a Christian, if Jesus really has your heart, so you've got standout desires, you're going to naturally spend money differently, right? With me so far? When we spend money differently, we have paved the way now towards standout generosity. We could be more generous because our spending looks so different than the world around us. Our spending looks so different because our passions are aligned differently. We worship the king of kings. We worship the giver, not the gift, right? God gives you a paycheck. I don't worship the paycheck. I'm a Christian, right? Okay. So before I give you the discussion question, because I think some of you guys have been cheating, I want you to introduce yourself to two people. Tell them your name and good morning. Go ahead and introduce yourself to two folks. And when groups have formed, I'm going to give you your discussion question. Turn around and say hi. Unless you're in the back row, you can't turn around. Meet somebody you've never met. Here is your discussion question. What's a generous action that you can't afford right now, but you'd love to be able to do it one day? What's a generous action? You can't afford it right now, but you'd love to be able to do it one day. It's on your generosity bucket list. Go ahead and share with your new friends. Give you 60 seconds. All right. Anybody want to share? You got a cool generosity idea, something you'd love to get around to at some point. Can't afford it yet, but you'd love to do it. Go overseas and not have to work every day. Uh, Are you talking about a mission trip or a cruise? Yeah. (laughs) I'm not sure it's generous. Pay for somebody else's cruise? You want to pay for my cruise? Oh my goodness, that's so sweet. What a kind Christian heart. What's something generous that you've been dreaming about? Can't afford it yet, but you'd love to do it. Any cool ideas? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Amen to that. Yeah. Supporting education, housing, what else? Whenever there's a, a safety issue or something uh, in need for repair on somebody's house or their car or just somebody in our community that has a need, yeah. want to jump in and do something. Yeah, just internal family generosity. Yeah. Amen to that. Oh. Which restaurant I'll be there? 
<laughs> there's McDonald's generous with an idea like that, and then there's Texas Roadhouse generous, and then there's P.F. Chang's generous. Yeah. <laughs> She's picking it up. Okay, I'll have a second drink. Oh. Awesome. Any others before we move on? Renault. Commercial grade playground. That was sneaky because he's an elder and he knows we've been talking about that. <laughs> he's planting a seed right there. Hey guys, we're staring down the barrel of a new playground in the next couple of years. So. I can hear what he said. Yeah, a new playground. Yeah. ASBCA. Take care of animals. Cool. Yeah. The welfare of animals. Yeah, absolutely. Note takers, here's your first real blank. I'm talking about generosity that stands out. Standout generosity is motivated by joy. It's motivated by joy. Take a look at what our brother Paul said. 2 Corinthians, almost 2,000 years ago. Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. Anybody ever heard of verses like this getting abused? Usually it's like, give more money to the church irrespective of what your budget says and then God's gonna take care of the rest, right? I put a quote in your sermon notes last week for those of you that had notes from Myron Golden. It said, if you do the right thing with 10% of your money and the wrong thing with 90%, you're gonna be a broke tither, okay? All 100% matters how it's spent. We're, we're never, ever, because the scripture doesn't allow it, we're not gonna say, throw your needs and your responsibilities and paying your bills, throw it all to the wind because we've got a special offering that's gonna put you in the poorhouse, Right? but that's what it's not, but let's talk about what it is. Next line, you must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly. Don't give in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. It, it would, would probably be more helpful theologically if the translators had say, for God loves it when a person gives cheerfully. He loves everybody, Right? Okay. He loves it when you give cheerfully, hilarion, laughter, the idea that you chuckle with joy when you give to something. And this probably, this verse is probably at the root of why I said what I said earlier. Why do I want the elders to lead, to uh, manage money in a way that we are your very favorite nonprofit? Because I want you to chuckle with joy at the end of the year. And man, that's money. Uh, well spent. But you see how joy is the foundation of the kind of giving that God wants. Not begrudging submission, right? Reluctantly or in response to pressure. Not grumpy. Not I'm going to give money so God will love me more. That's nonsense. Okay? Joy is the foundation. So your next step, jot this one down. Check your joy level before giving. Look inside yourself and check your joy. For those of you that write a check, you're writing out the check. Don't write it out yet. 
Check your joy level. Am I enjoying writing this check? If you're pulling cash out of your wallet, if you're giving online, is it my joy to invest in the kingdom of God, invest in the local family of faith, invest in a Christian nonprofit or some kind that is beyond the church? Is it joy? Or is there something inside me? And I'll just tell you the way that... Um, We've all been kind of taught how religion works. Probably one of the most dangerous things we need to look out for is self-righteousness. Am I feeling better about myself because of this gift? Do I think somewhere deep down that I'm a better person because I do this? Because if I am giving money so that I get to feel like I'm a better person, I'm now a Pharisee. I'm self-righteous. That's dangerous. So let's look into our hearts. What is the motivation of giving? It has to be joy. Check your joy level. I want you to imagine that it is your opportunity to give some blood. They suckered you in. They said they would give you ice cream. You're chuckling because you've been there. They, they do. They bribe you with ice cream. And you go through all the tests. They ask you all the questions, this, that, and the other. and You feel a little bit dizzy before they've even stuck a needle in you. And they go, well, how's your blood pressure? And you're like, well, I, I don't, my blood pressure's never been that great or what have you. And so out of precaution, they, they check your blood pressure and it's really, really low. Let's put this in English. You don't have enough blood inside you right now necessarily. Pressure is directly related to volume. And they go, um, yeah, you're not gonna give today. You're not gonna give today. This wouldn't be great. Imagine if God told you that when your joy level is down, I don't want your gift yet. Try next Sunday. Is God in a position of strength when he says, yeah, I don't need your check yet. Try next week. Is God in financial need? He said in the Psalms, if I was hungry, I wouldn't ask you about it. Could you imagine if Yahweh needed a snack to hold him over toward dinner and it was our responsibility to provide said snack? So it cannot be that he needs our money. That just can't be it. He is very comfortable saying, yeah, leave your gift at the altar and go make it right with somebody else. This, this can wait. He's very, say, he's very comfortable saying, go check your heart. Is this being done out of joy? Is this cheerful? And that's why Brother Paul was instructing us in 2 Corinthians. Make it cheerful. Do the heart work first and then write the check. How many of you guys know the heart work is harder? Right? That's why Jesus is always talking about the heart. The heart work is 90% and the rest is just details. The rest is details. Second, standout generosity is defined by your resources. It's got to be motivated by joy and it's defined by your resources. Republicans, breathe out. Breathe out, okay? We're fighting each other in politics about whether the wealthy should pay more. Uh, Jesus already settled this 2,000 years ago and it doesn't matter which party says they agree or disagree, okay? So breathe, you're going to be okay. Listen to this. Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple and watched as the crowds dropped in their money. This was a public thing. 
Anybody, by the way, anybody ever been to a church where they passed the plate around and they had felt at the bottom of the plate? Is it just me? Anybody else? The, the idea being that you don't drop your change into the plate and make this loud clanking sound of uh, advertising to everybody how much you're giving. Nowadays, if there's a clanking sound, you're cheap, right? <laughs> Why are you giving God nickels? You put in paper, we don't know if it's a one or 100. Just like, come on, put in a one. You know, we won't know. Anyway, but they had these big clay jars and, and the big sacks of money make bigger noise, right? This is very public. Everyone's watching this at the door of the temple. Many rich people put in large amounts. Then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given What's the word? More than all the others who are making contributions. Where are my accountants at? How, how, huh? Huh? How does that work? Two little copper pennies is more? Oh my goodness, somebody's reading their Bible. For they gave a tiny part of their surplus. Look at the word, tiny. We thought the widow's two pennies were tiny, and he's saying, no, no, what's tiny is their gift. It's a small slice of their extra. has nothing to do with the need. Their needs were met a long time ago. They're wealthy. A tiny slice of their extra in a public setting. So even then, it might be a gift to look good in front of people. It might not be God-honoring at all. But she, poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. Everything, 100%. Percentage matters. Resources matter. Faith, for sure, matters. Now, I had somebody explain to me years ago, and this is probably, this preaches unto itself. Two pennies isn't enough for her to get anywhere. If that's the last that she had, if you have absolutely no access to resources and you have two quarters in your pocket, two quarters can't even buy a candy bar anymore, right? You can't get a bite of food for two quarters. So when you have two quarters and you're, on the end, you're going to starve to death after this, those two coins are saying, God, I am already fully in your hands. It's you and me. And she, perhaps, is in the safest place to be. We don't believe this, but a bunch of wealthy folks relying on their money and a poor widow relying on God, I think she's probably better off. They're giving to be seen by men. This, you know, this lady does not realize that God in the flesh is 40 feet away seeing the whole thing. Brothers and sisters, when you give up and say, God, it's just you and me now, you don't realize how much God sees. You don't know that God's right there, and he is. He sees you when you give up. He sees you when you hit rock bottom. He sees you at the end of your rope. And this is tough. He wanted you there. It is merciful when God lets us hit rock bottom. That was for free. Let's get back onto the sermon, Greg. Here's the next step that I want you to consider in light of Generosity being defined by the amount of resources you have. Actively seek ways to increase your standard of giving instead of your standard of living. Is the world inundating you with hundreds of messages a day telling you that one of these should be your focus? 
Yeah, which of these two gets more attention? <laughs> right? It's not even close. For sure, you're going to see some ads of, hey, give to a hurricane relief. Hey, here, help with this. Hey, here, help with that. Um, wounded, soul, wounded warrior project. For sure, there's some benevolence out there trying to demand your attention. But that's probably pennies on the dollar to everybody else trying to get you to buy a car or download the latest app or whatever. I'm going to channel my inner Dave Ramsey here at some point. He used an illustration where a guy gets out of college at the age of 22, gets a decent job, and he's making $40,000. When you're 22, that's good money. And for the sake of his illustration, he kept the math simple and said he was going to work for 35 years, and he's making $40,000 his whole working years. And he says, this guy is, by definition, a loser. And everybody laughs. And he says, no, no, no. In 35 years of hard work, he never gets a raise? You just show up at your desk on time and have halfway decent relationships with the people around you. You're going to get a little bump every great once in a while, right? But if you have a Christian work ethic, you're going to know that Joseph didn't just happen once. Daniel didn't happen just once. With a Christian work ethic, and we've seen this throughout church history, there are folks that move up the ladder because they honored God and God had intention. Like you were faithful with a few things when you were a low-level manager and before you know it, uh, you know, 20 years later, you've moved up three or four times. Uh, if you have dreams, especially young folks, if you have dreams whatsoever of being in a different spot when you're 40 than when you were 25, if you have dreams of being in a different spot at 50 than you were at 40 um, with your vocation, that probably means wealth climbing, even if it's only incrementally. What if you decided in advance, if you're married, decide with your spouse, what if you decided in advance where your surpluses were going to go? What if you decided in advance where your unexpected tax return was going to go? What if you decided in advance, if a Christmas bonus happens this year, this is where it's going to go? See, that's a real core value. A core value is when you determine in advance. And my concern is when we don't state our core values out loud, if we're married, we're not talking with our spouse about it. What it means is the core values are still there. They're just unspoken, okay? Confession time. Emily and I had a really good tax year one time, and Cabrina got to see Disneyland because of having, hey, we got a bunch of money back that we didn't expect. Um, that was an unspoken core value. Emily and I didn't write it down and say our top priority is Disneyland. It's just the truth of what was actually going on. What would our spending look like and what would our generosity look like if we made decisions in advance? God, I want to increase my standard of giving. There's a large church in Nashville, Tennessee, that has a ministry to single moms, to help them, support them, give them community, encouragement, babysitting. And about, I think it's about 10 years ago now, there was a family that felt challenged to push the envelope of their own generosity. So we wanna try something bigger and better, more exciting, um, not like for entertainment value, but like we need to 
push the, like, is it really generous if you don't feel it, right? Let's push, let's be a little harder, let's make some sacrifices. They had a single mom in their small group, and her car was a total beater, it was breaking down all the time, the group found themselves multiple times a year fixing the car, and she was very gracious and helpful, but systemically they could just see, you know, this would actually be cheaper if we just bought her a new car. And so they bought her a new car so that she'd have reliable transportation and wouldn't have to be in the shop. And frankly, it's kind of a dignity play too. It's like, hey, I know that this gift is grace, but you're not gonna have to keep relying on the support of the group. And I know that you feel bad about yourself when you keep having to ask, this won't have to happen anymore. Just accept this one gift and move on. Well, they got so much joy out of that and it was so systemic. It helped her, she already had a job and it helped facilitate her taking care of herself and getting on her own feet. Um, and the church was so big, again, they, you know, how big of a church are you when you have something, a whole ministry and a staff member devoted to single moms, which is amazing. Uh, they quietly went to the pastor over that ministry and said, hey, do you know of any other ladies in your ministry that need wheels? And they did it again the next calendar year. And the third year they said, hey babe, you know, they talked through their budget. I think we could buy two cars this year. And they did. And the year after that, I, I think we can buy two cars again. And they did. That is creative. It was practical. It's not the tail wagging the dog of, oh, I want to buy a car. It's this young lady needs a car, right? It's meeting needs practically. And financially, by dollars and cents, it is so far beyond most of us that our brain would just write it off, right? It's in this category called other. You can drop 27 grand to get a, a, a brand new economy car for somebody, and that's wonderful, good for you, back down here on earth for the rest of us, right? That's what your brain does. Because there's our world, there's our tax bracket, there's our means, okay? The dollar amount doesn't matter. Why? Because if a widow can throw in two pennies and be generous, then what does that mean for you? You might be in a tax bracket where, I don't know, here in uh, a few weeks, if the lady gets back to me, we're going to be filling up backpacks for kids here at Woodside that are below the poverty line. The uh, fire department supplies the backpacks, but that's it. They need school supplies to go in them, so we're gonna do that, and then we're gonna turn around and do backpacks again, right? Those of you guys been a part of the church for a year or more, every September we're doing Philippines backpacks, okay? So there are manageable ways to be generous that is big and impactful in somebody else's life and it fits your tax bracket, right? It, it, it's doable, it doesn't have to be a car, but it's creative and it's according to our resources. Obviously this family didn't just love Jesus, they obviously made really good money, right? Okay, so giving is defined, generosity is defined by our resources. Standout generosity is submissive to authority. Ah, oh, nobody cheered and clapped. Must be an American crowd. <sighs> but it is, I got Bible verses. Check this out. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. Scholars, who's talking? Who's talking right now? 
God. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant, and I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. I'm going to go back a slide. Bring all the tithes where? The storehouse of the temple. So, trick question. I'm telling you in advance it's a trick question so you don't feel duped. Is this communal or individual? Right? Levitical law told each family what to give and when and how much, also according to their means. And they all bring it to the exact same storehouse. What is that? You're trusting God, creating communal wealth. You're trusting God with it. You're trusting the priests. You're trusting the Levites. Are there Old Testament examples of the priests and Levites doing evil? Just say yes if you're not sure. Yeah. Are there modern examples of pastors stealing, swindling money? Say yes, tragically, right? They're the reason that we have certain safeguards in place, okay? Trick question. Do we take our wounds and distrust from the past and decide to disobey in the present? Brothers and sisters, let me say something really egregious but important. If you don't trust your elders with the money, get rid of your elders. You have pastors who love money more than they love the flock. Get rid of those pastors, they're evil. It's actually, that's the issue. You don't sit there and withhold money like, I've got a control issue. I don't think they're, like, no, you have evil pastors if they're stealing the money for themselves like Judas, right? Take a look, New Testament example of communal uh, commands around money. Acts 4, there were no needy people among them. This is talking about the early church. No one was needy. Because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. For instance, there was Joseph, the one of the apostles named Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. He sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. So that happened twice. Look what it said. Bring the money to the apostles. This group of 12 pastors the early church had. We would call them elders now. They're called apostles because they actually walked with Jesus. In the next verse, he sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. So is this individual? Yes. Barnabas' field, Barnabas' heart, his generosity, his action, his proactivity, and then now it's communal. He trusts the shepherds to take care of the flock with the money. Make sense? Okay. You guys are quiet, so I think I'm boring you to tears, but I, I just... I, need, I needed to say this. Like, we need to be really careful uh, with how we do giving with our individualistic mindset. There was a church in Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina where uh, it was a large and growing church. The elders felt very strongly that the best way that they could reach the triangle was to start lots and lots of small campuses around the area. It was their conviction, which I think they're probably right, they did not feel that Americans, like they say over and over, they said, if you drove 45 minutes to be here at church today, 
That's because you are committed to Christ in this church, but your friend at work, your coworker, when you try to invite them to church, they're probably not gonna drive 45 minutes one way. And so it was their conviction of, instead of building this monolithic 7,000 seat auditorium, what they wanted was lots and lots of 200 seat auditoriums all around their metropolitan area, so that they had a campus within a 15 minute drive of everybody they could potentially reach. That was something the elders had talked about extensively. They had shared it publicly with the church of this is our vision, this is where we're going, Somebody in the church who had been upset about that all along and had been kind of cantankerous and said, I want us to build the big thing, this, that, or the other, the elders had sensed kind of in his heart that it was like a pride thing for him, that he wanted this gargantuan building so that we would be the coolest church in the whole Tri-City area and all that, and it just wasn't in the vision, and they had told him repeatedly. One day, he sends a check into the church office for two and a half million dollars to get the building campaign started for this gargantuan building. And the elders, if I got the story right, whoever had the, the money put the check out onto the table and the elders look at it and no one says a word because they've talked with this guy a lot and they slide the check back and say, return it. Guys, that gift was not submissive to the vision that the elders had for the ministry plan. They told you why they want to do it a certain way to try to reach as many people as possible and you just keep fighting and fighting. It it doesn't matter that he was willing to give two and a half million dollars to it. He had a control issue of some kind. He was not submissive. Elders in the room, wouldn't you love that chance to give give back a two and a half million (laughs) dollars? Man, that's some some different zeros than what we're looking at. Here's a call to action for you if you love Jesus. Check your heart, because nobody can do this for you. Check your heart for control issues before you give a designated gift. There's nothing wrong with designated giving on the surface, but you've got to check your heart, okay? If your heart is giving out of joy, if your heart is giving, you know, right? Again, I can't look into your heart for you. You've got to do that. Am I trying to manipulate or control the elders and staff? A second thing you can do in the same vein, and I want to invite you, attend an elder admin meeting if you've got questions or if you've got expertise to offer. Our main elder meeting, normally the second Thursday night of the month, it's getting pushed back a week because of family camp. It's going to be the 20th if you'd like to join us. Our main meeting is pastoral. How is the flock doing? Are we, can we encourage them? Can we train them? Can we equip them? How, you know, how is everybody? But the admin meeting is a separate meeting of team within a team of elders who are going above and beyond, helping with just three things, buildings, budgets, and personnel, right? Some of you just fell asleep right then when I said those three words. But somebody has to do the work, right? Buildings, budgets, and personnel. That meeting's gonna be here in this room on the 27th. If you have something that you can give to help us administrate better, those meetings are open to everybody. We'd love to have you there. And you can help. Uh, If you've got distrust deep in your soul from a past experience, I'd really love to talk with you. I'd love to pray with you. Because guess what? I want you to know something. I have deep distrust from pastoral wounds from my life multiple times over. I do. This is a safe place to have pastoral wounds, okay? Bad stuff has happened. And we're going to keep gently taking those things and laying them at the foot of the cross over and over again. 
Because God is faithful and he is good. And I'll tell you, having been here five years, I think the Lord has given us great elders. I'm, I'm not just saying that. I, I've been to churches where it was always a tinderbox of control issues and nonsense. And um, I'm just so grateful for Foundation and their elders. If you join Foundation, and this is probably the crux of the issue, you're entrusting your soul to the care of the elders. This is biblical language, by the way. So trusting the elders with money should be easy. Money is a small thing. We're in care of your soul's proper care and feeding to bring you the whole counsel of God. Money should be a small thing. And then I'm super out of time, but we're gonna say this anyway because it's important. Guys, stand out. Generosity is the foundation of the gospel. It's the very beginning Say it with me. For God so loved the world that he was stingy. Did I get it right? God so loved the world, he told us, come back tomorrow. He gave Jesus to wash away our sins. Because he is a giving, loving, generous God. Romans 8 says this, he's given us the son, won't he give us everything else? So, Christians, I want you to be ready. Write this one down if it helps you. When someone notices your standout generosity, I want you to be ready to spit this out on a dime. Jesus has been so generous to me, it's the least I can do. You just got into a gospel conversation because somebody saw generosity they weren't expecting. How can you explain that first line without the gospel? Jesus has been so generous to me. I'm not talking about Jesus giving me money. He was generous to me through the cross and we are in a gospel conversation lightning fast. He's been so generous to me. Now, we are at the end of our series and I'm five minutes over, but I gotta tell you about a book. Sometimes when we do topicals, I've seen this uh, every other year when we do a marriage series. Sometimes we talk about a topic and you guys were uh, either, okay, that was cool, but I'm ready to move on. But some of you will come forward and I know from the comments, you're going, man, this is a big issue in my life. We need to work on this. I get that every time. If you need to keep working on your finances, far and away, the number one thing you can do is to join Financial Peace University. So when Melissa gets those dates out, what an incredible class. If you would like to do something now that's very quick and manageable, I would like for you to pick up a copy of the number one best-selling personal finance book of all time, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. You can get a used copy of this on Amazon for five bucks. And I, I've listened to dozens and dozens of people on the Bigger Pockets podcast, it's a real estate investment podcast, say this book is the book that changed their life. It's gonna help you understand what an asset is, what a liability is, teach you how to think well about money and about your financial environment. I could not commend this book to you enough. If you go, man, the Lord has said some things to us the last three weeks, but we need to keep working on our money. Um, I very rarely set aside books to read a second time. I usually feel like I've grasped it the first time. Um, I have Rich Dad, Poor Dad on a three-year cycle. Every 36 months, I read it again. Um, there, there's probably, I can think of two books that I read that often besides scripture. 
Uh, this is that transformative, so I want to encourage you. Here's the whole sermon series in one sentence. Greg, why you been yakking for three weeks if you could have said it in one sentence? Man! Standout desires lead to standout consumption, which paved the way for standout generosity. And the church said, amen. Lord Jesus, would you please change our hearts so that our behaviors and thoughts would also change. Make us a family that honors you well with the resources you've given. Make us incredible stewards, not just of money, but of our lives, our passions, our spiritual gifts, our energy, and our time. Make us incredible stewards for the glory of your name. We love you, Lord, so much, but we ask your Holy Spirit, help us love the Father even more. Help us love a lost and dying world even more. Help us to love the family of faith even more. In the great name of Jesus Christ, we pray. God's people said, amen. Amen. I love you guys. Have a great week.